Thank you, Devin. As uh, Lori came up here, I was uh, more than willing to hold Addison um, while she was getting the announcements, but she doesn't think I have holy enough hands, so uh, that's why that didn't work. <laughs> or, was it, or was it clean enough hands? She's always saying, have you washed your hands? Have you washed your hands? So, um, Well, before we look in the, the Word of God this morning, I just want to, to um, just share some random things. I don't know if a random is the right word, but um, so often we don't really have enough time to kind of just talk family here uh, as we worship and spend time in the Word of God, and um, we'll be taking communion a little bit later on, but some of you, um, we should give you more of an update on some people, but uh, particularly uh, Bill and Judy Mann, uh, Bill was one, of our in, uh, was one of our elders, and in fact, actually, we haven't officially kicked him off, I guess he's still an elder in, in uh, some sense, but uh, I just, uh, just want to let you know they're doing well, uh, God's been working in their lives, they're, they're filled with praise, uh, they, don't, they have some limitations as far as being able to worship here, they're always wanting to do that, but just want to let you get reports about how Bill and Judy are, are doing. Uh, also, I just want to let you know as we uh, pray for uh, the global ministry of Christ, uh, getting the gospel out to all who need to hear the, the love of, of God's uh, heart and the truth as far as coming into a relationship with Him, uh, each Lord's week that God gives us, we emphasize a particular missionary. Uh, this week, uh, it's kind of a home missions. It's Atherton Baptist Homes. It's, it's in your PT with God, and we start a new series there with First John. Uh, but they really minister to retired ministers and missionaries as they come home, and many of them, particularly in generations past, did not have the opportunity to have any place to live, and so that came from that, and so be praying for them. And in case you did not know, our own uh, Warren Williams is actually the, the chairman of the board that oversees that, and uh, we want to be praying for them this week. And then, just heard before I came up, uh, David Pope was sharing with me that the deaf ministries that are really going around the world, and I'm going to try to make this as simple as possible, which is the largest unreached, unengaged people groups in the world, and so there is a whole need for missionaries to translate the Bible in... Uh, sign language in particular countries and nations where there's large pockets of that. And there were three missionaries that went to the Sudan, which is a very dangerous place, and uh, they were arrested this week. And so we want to be praying for them that they would be released soon. And there's uh, more details of that if you, want, if you can talk to David. But the, the main point is pray for these three men who are um, desiring to get the, the gospel in a, in a form, which would be in a language that can be communicated uh, in a clear way to those who need to know about Jesus. So there's all kinds of things that we could be praying about. We could share some other things as well. But before we look in God's Word, let's, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you for just the privilege of being in a place where we can come and gather and express our praise to you in song and in music. We thank you that we can express the love of Christ with each other in fellowship by just talking with each other and, uh, and just uh, greeting one another uh, we thank you for just the ability to give us to laugh and rejoice about things that are good that happen in our life, as, as well as times to be sober when things are very difficult. And if I just really pray uh, today uh, that we might particularly lift up those missionaries in uh, Sudan and ask that you might release them, set uh, your ambassadors uh, free uh, so they can continue to do their work. Uh, Father, we do pray for those, and there are a number in our church that are going through difficult times physically, some... Um, in a uh, kind of an emergency perspective and others in a chronic way, particularly Bill, um, who probably is not going to recover from the injury that he um, in occurred, incurred a, a few years ago. But Father, we thank you that their faith is strong, their joy is in the Lord, and they're trusting God and thankful for God's people who surround them with your love. 
And now, Father, I praise you as we look in your worthy, you might speak into our lives, and we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to James, and James chapter 5, though really the, the two verses we're going to be looking at this morning is in uh, your outline, and we'll be looking at a couple other, other, other ones as well. Uh, but the, the message title is, is pretty simple. It was uh, pretty simple last week. If you remember, I, I had three points for you, and the, the points were be patient, be patient, and be patient. Well, I thought, you know, since uh, uh, that was uh, for those who just love to memorize and got that all memorized from last week, I thought I'll give you something like that this morning as well. And really the message is pretty simple today as well. It's right grounded in God's Word, and it's all about being honest. And, and really, as I was looking at this passage, and actually I was only going to look at one verse, and I thought, well, I'll throw another verse in as well, but kind of it, it fits the theme, is that as I was designing the, uh, the sermon fill-in-the-blanks uh, outline, uh, even as I was wrestling with it going over again uh, yesterday, I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to simplify it even more. So if, even though there's not a whole lot of fill-in-the-blanks, if I don't quite get to them in a smooth way, don't worry about it because it's really not that important. Because really what I want to talk about is what the title of the message is about is this, let's be honest. And to be honest, you've got to figure out if we're going to be real and simple, who, who, who do we need to be honest to and with? And, and really, there's only three groups of people here today. They're, they're uh, the groups of people that we would consider the others, which mean they're not ourselves. And so we need to be honest with others. But if we look at it on a horizontal level, that makes it pretty simple. Let's be honest with the people that we know and, and we come in contact with. And that, that's a mandate from God. But if we went beyond the horizontal, we'd also say uh, there's another direction, that's the vertical. If we're going to be honest with others, first of all, fundamentally, we've got to be honest with who? We've got to be honest with God. And, and really, if you're going to be honest with God and with others, then it really kind of mandates you're going to be also be honest with your, yourself. And, and really, that's the point this, this, this morning, and we're going to try to fill that in as, as James announces. The, but that, that's the challenge for us, that if, if we want to understand, if you're outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're thinking about getting in on that relationship with God, uh, really, for that to be a real relationship, you've got to be honest. You've got to be honest. Do you really want to know God? And do you really believe there is a God? And you believe that God has a plan for your life? And you believe that what Jesus did is sufficient for you, as, as Bill was sharing, that you could have holy hands, which is a symbol of a, a holy heart before God, and that that God, in the midst of all that we've done that was wrong, and the Bible's word for that is sin, can be erased by the blood of Jesus Christ's work on the cross. So you've got to be honest with God. But if that is true, then it means that you want to live out that relationship with God, and that means you've got to be honest with Him, but you also got to be honest with others. Because He's not calling us into uh, people who simply just get a ticket to heaven. He, he wants us to be people that, that walk with Him. And this is just a, a short period of time here on earth. He wants us to, to be people who are going to walk with him forever. And, and that's going to be a, an honest lifestyle. So we've got to be honest with others. And then thirdly, obviously, that demands that we've got to be honest with ourselves. And, and let's just be honest. To, to be honest means we've got to be people committed to the truth. And I was just reading what other people have said about the truth. We're going to be looking at what the Word of God says. But Thomas Jefferson and... And we want to be praying for the elections, and, and um, you know, some would like me to give a message on the elections, but I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> There's, but I have a passion that we be responsible and prayerful and thoughtful as we vote, and some of you have already voted, but just that is a privilege we have as a country. But Thomas Jefferson wrote this, he who permits himself to tell a lie once 
finds it much easier to do it a second and third time. Anyone want to say amen to that? Okay, that's not Bible, but that's truth, right? And all truth is God's truth. Till at length it becomes habitual. He tells lies without attending to it and truths without the world's believing him. This falsehood of the tongue leads to that of heart, and in time it depraves all of his good dispositions. It sounds to me like he's saying this is a pretty important area because if we're, if we're not committed to telling the truth, it just affects every part of who we are. Another writer, Tom Robbins, wrote this. You, you may tell the greatest lies and wear a brilliant disguise, but you can't escape the eyes of the one who sees right through you. And I think that not only speaks about God, but also speaks about others. They've, if you ever, in fact, they used to have a TV program on that, you know, t- uh, that tells how people can tell whether you're lying or not, and they've got some people who are supposedly experts in that. But there are just people in our own life that, that we can fool everybody else, but we can't fool what? We can't fool them because they know us so well. We don't know what the tells are, but they know what the tells are. And when we're not telling the truth, they get it. And so we're only fooling ourselves when we believe that living a, living a lie or telling a lie is going to going to work out. Sir Walter Scott, and this one's been heard before probably, it's kind of a classic, oh what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. Um, this is great, I, I did, some of these people I'd give you the names but they, they didn't mean anything to me and I don't want to look stupid like you would know them even though I didn't know them so I won't give them the names but uh, some liars are so experts they deceive themselves. And isn't that the real danger of lies, or at least one of the major danger of lies? Once you start telling lies, pretty soon you believe your own, your own lies. How, how horrific that is. Plato said this, false words are not only evil in themselves, but they infect the soul with evil. Lies were like acid, corrosive. They dissolve trust in a heartbeat. Proverbs 12.22 says this, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are His delight. So, truth is pretty important. Being able to be honest by being committed to the truth is just so crucial to live life. And whether that's described by God's perspective or humans who just take a clear perspective on life, we, we can't function without some commitment to the truth. And really, as I was thinking about that, and it, as we look at the first point in the outline, which I will fill in this, uh, be honest with yourselves, be honest with others and yourself. I got struck by the next verse from the verse we ended last week. We've ended with verse 11 in James chapter 5, and that means today we start with James chapter 5, verse 12. And, and he says this, but above all, my brethren. And I'm thinking, but above all, you've just, you just told us that 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 there are people that you're writing to, and it's throughout every you know, century, that, that are being so oppressed by the, the circumstances around them and the economics around them. They're, they're wondering where, where their next meal is going to come from. And, and you said there's going to be judgment upon those who oppress those in need. And your response back in terms of, of how we're supposed to deal with that, how the poor, the impoverished are supposed to deal with, is not that you're going to immediately fix it, but they're simply to be, what, patient. And the reason we can really believe that there is an answer at the end of this life is because Jesus is coming again. And in James chapter 5, verse 8, which comes right before this passage, he says, you too be patient and stand firm. 
Because the Lord's coming is near. So whatever near is, whether it happens today or tomorrow or whatever it might be, he's saying, look it, there, there's going to come a time, and our life is just like a vapor, it's, just, it's here and it's gone, is that everything that's wrong is going to be made right, everything that's um, unjust will become just, all the needs that are not met will be met, all the tears that are, are uh, coming, flowing from the, the eyes of those who are suffering will stop. Um, and you just simply need to be patient, which implies some great discussions this last week, uh, at least I was experiencing with some people. They're saying it really speaks about we trust God and we submit to God. And, and we trust God not knowing when and how he's going to do everything, but we, we believe that God is trustworthy. And then I say, well, it doesn't get any bigger than that. How, how, how could, how, you know, you, we, why don't we just put a period and then close the book? In the midst of things that are not right, we can trust God because he's going to eventually make those things that are wrong right. He said, well, above all this, be honest. And, and I guess if we were to backtrack, back, you know, take a step back on this, we, we would need to realize that really everything about this book is predicated on we believe that it's, that's true, right? And everything we believe about Jesus is, it has to be founded that we believe that He is true. And of course, that's one of Jesus' more familiar statements. But Jesus said to them, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. Okay? And unless Jesus is true, why would we believe in Him? So it's, it's got to be on the truth. I was reading a variety of things that were said about the truth and the importance of it. Remember when there used to be an, an, uh, an encyclopedia, you know, Britannica? Remember when people had to actually open up books to find out information they didn't have? Now you can go to Wikipedia as long as they allow them to still be on the Internet or whatever it might be, the Wikipedia. But the, the, before you could Google it, you had to look in a book. Well, I, I was reading about this, uh, this man, Mortimer Adler, who used to be the editor of the Encyclopedia Britannica, who also was the editor of a series of books, the great books in, in history. And he then wrote a book, How to Read a Book. He said that the greatest compliment you can give to any human instrument that's been written down in a form that people can, can respond to is to say that it has a great measure of truth in it. And if, if that's how you would read a book, how do you read a life? You read a life because you're convinced that life is true. And so I, I think if you put that as a back, you know, drop to all that James has said, and he says, but above all, my brethren, do not swear. Now, he's not talking about don't use a four-letter word. That's not the point he's making here. He's talking about putting your full force into to saying that what you have just said is not false, but it's true. Uh, do not swear. But he says, well, how do you affirm that, that what you're saying is true? He says, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. He said, don't, don't play games with the truth. D don't, don't be people who, who can somehow say, well, and I read this line this past week, well, I, I'm, not, I'm not really lying, but I'm not also not really telling the truth. What does that mean? Okay. Well, he said, don't, don't be that kind of person. Now, if you have a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. This is something that, that James, the half-brother of, of Jesus, 
kind of picked right out of the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. And he gives this, this same emphasis. In James 5, verses 33 through 37, uh, Jesus preaches this. Again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. Now you're thinking, well, how is Jesus going to amplify on this? Well, implied in that, and the rabbis were, were very creative. They said, okay, he, he, he's qualifying the vows here. You don't make false vows that are to the who? Lord. Okay, it's right there, right? It says, don't, you shall not make false vows, but shall fill your vows to the Lord. Now, if you're looking for a loophole, anybody ever look for a loophole? Okay, the loophole here, well, okay, well, okay, he, he, the emphasis here is, is you, you can't make false vows if it's to the Lord. Okay, so all I have to do whenever I'm making a promise or saying something that, that someone thinks that what I'm saying I'm going to actually do or fulfill, I just can't tie it to the Lord, right? And so he goes on and says, but I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Now, what happened here is that what would people do, okay, uh, I don't want to say it to the Lord, and I don't want to say it to the Lord for a variety of reasons because I don't want to use the name's Lord in vain. So many of them would never use the, the, the Lord's name, period. They would just use a substitute or something like that. So it wasn't a tell. Uh, if that, it was that simple, it would be a tell, right? Well, he didn't say to the Lord, so I don't have to trust him, right? So they said, well, there might be another reason he doesn't use the Lord, and I swear to God. They, they didn't say that because they didn't want to use it in vain. Are you, are you tracking with me? So they would say, I swear to heaven. Well, they say, well, okay, that, that sounds pretty important. So he's probably going to uh, you know, follow through. Or in our culture, something, I swear by my mother's... Are you still with me? Should I start all over? Okay, I, okay I'm going to swear by my mother's grave. You know, and you hear those kind of things, and it just raises the ante, if we're going to use a gambling perspective here. Right? Look, at that sounds like he's all in on this, whatever he has said. And what Jesus is saying, look, will you get far from that? Just get away from that. Or, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. So, you know, some say, I'll, I'll, I'll swear by heaven, I'll swear by earth, and those are important, pretty important. And, and Jesus said, you're just playing with words here because the earth, who created the earth? God, you know? And so, you know, why are you using that as somehow a, a way to get out of what you're saying? And then he says, um, verse 35, or by the earth, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. I was reading one particular uh, explanation of this, and it, rabbis were so particular about words where they thought they could, they could have a, a loophole. They would say, you know, you could swear on Jerusalem and, and still not follow through, but if you swear on something toward Jerusalem, then you had to make sure you did it. Now, I don't know why I would have put the other one in front of the other one, but somehow they said if it's toward Jerusalem, it, it's much more God-centered than if it's just on Jerusalem. And, and so they were playing, well, what are the levels by which people can know for sure that you're saying the truth? Verse 36, not, not, nor shall you make an oath by your head, or you cannot make one hair white or black. But Verse 37, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond these is of evil. 
So he's simply saying, look, if you're going to be a follower of me, that's what the Sermon on the Mount was all about. He said, look, let me, blessed are those, and he went through all those blessed, and then he went through the litany of things. Okay, if you're going to be blessed, which would be a follower of mine, this is how you're going to now live. And he took things way beyond that they could imagine. You know, murdering is not simply physically taking someone's life, but if you destroy them with your words, it's, it's, it accounts to the same in terms of God's economy. All those things. And now he said, let's just talk about being honest. Be honest with others. I, I want you to be of such a character in following me and, and uh, filled with integrity that whenever you say yes, people can go to the bank on it. And whenever you say no, they know you're going to follow through and not do what you said you're not going to do. Now, some take this way beyond the point of what Jesus was saying here or what James was saying. He, he's not saying if you're ever in a court of law, you can't put your hand on the Bible and swear on the Bible. That's not the point. It's not the point you can ever say, you know, I swear to God that I'm not going to do this. Because in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 10.20 even said you, you should swear to God. And there were places where various people in the Old Testament and New Testament make an oath unto God. And I think that's just a matter of emphasis. But it's not saying that when you don't add an oath or, a, or a, a, a statement of confirmation that you're really being serious here, that you don't tell the truth. And really, I think that's the implication here. When you talk about telling the truth, sometimes we all get, a, well, what about the exceptions? You know, what about if, if we're in the Second World War and the, the Nazis were going to come and we were hiding um, Jewish people in our house, would we tell them that... Um, they were in our basement. Now, first of all, how many have ever had that happen to you? Okay, so you don't have to worry about it, right? What if I was a police officer and they asked me to go undercover? You know, is it, you know that's, that's kind of telling a lie. Well, some of you are police officers. You might have had to do that. But for the vast majority of us here, how many have ever had to do that? And no hand would go raise it. And if we were in a war, I mean, there are exceptions where, where there are issues that... that you could say, are, are not the everyday experience of relational life or community life. And we, I love to talk about ethics and, you know, I just love to talk, but I love to argue. We, we could talk about those things, but that's not the emphasis here. He's saying the everyday experience of your life and the community you are in and the relationships that you have, are you a person of truth? Are, are you honest with others? They know that what you say is what you're committed to. And you're all in with the truth. Now, again, there's all kinds of shades to this that we need to realize. When the Bible says very plainly in Ephesians that when we speak the truth, we're supposed to speak the truth in what? Love. So, so we're not talking about, you know, when, when someone asks you, you know, how, does, how do I look in whatever I'm wearing right now, okay? You don't always have to say everything that's in your mind as soon as they ask that question. I'm, you know, is there ways to, to uh, avoid a question? Is there ways to, to somehow, you know, say things softer than they ask you to talk about? I mean, there's all kinds of ways to do things in love. But we're talking about, are you people the truth? And why is it that... And we're talking about the clear things that all of us would, would understand. That, that is a lie. That's misrepresenting who you are or what you've done and 
you ask yourself, would you want people to lie to you if you had asked them that, that question? Do you trust that person more now because they, they didn't tell you the truth? And he said, I, I, I want you to be people unlike the world. I mean, we live in a political climate now. And how many believe that either party have only told us the truth? Anybody? You know, it, it, it isn't so sad that that's, that's what we've come to now. Is that we, don't, we can't trust anybody, right? Particularly when they're in a political environment. In fact, I really believe the political environment has bought the lie. You can't ever win if you tell the truth. I mean, it's just amazing. And, and he said, don't be that way. Don't, don't create a mindset that somehow life's going to be better if I, if I don't tell the truth. You know, I was over here in a conversation this week between, uh, you know, it was talking about their children. And uh, look at, again, there's all kinds of little nuances. We all have imaginations, right? It doesn't mean if you're not telling the truth, you can never write a uh, nonfiction book, right? Okay, is that, uh, no, is it fiction book? I always get those mixed up, so it's not like non-truth. You know, can you write a book that's not a fiction if, if you're committed to the truth? Well, you can still have, you know, imagination and things like that. And children, they learn to play imagination games. But, but even as they learn to play imagination games, they know when we're not playing imagination right now, and you've been asked the question now, did you do this or did you not do this? Did your, did your you know, you, you've got the cookie uh, sugar stuff all over your face. Did, did, you, did you put your hand in the cookie jar? Oh, no. No, I didn't. You know? You know, and, and the response back when they realize that uh, as you continue to interrogate them because you want them to understand that you know that, that they know that what they did and what they just said is not true. You know, sometimes then they'll, then they'll take us back and before they admit it, they'll say, well, am I going to get in trouble for this? Right? Which really bleeds back to the other thing is the reason we don't tell the truth is we're, 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 we're thinking at that moment when we don't tell the truth that we're going to get in more trouble if we tell the truth than if we don't tell the truth. And what God is saying to you, look at you, you are in much more trouble, much more trouble if you don't tell the truth. Because eventually your lies will what? Find you out. And he's just pleading with him. Look at, you know, again, children. And I don't know if they still do this because I haven't played on the playground that often. But uh, is that, you know, remember when you put, used to put something behind your back and, and if someone asked you a question and then, and then find out that you didn't do what you said, they said, well, no, that, that wasn't a promise because I had my what? fingers crossed that, that's that's what he's saying here look at don't don't think you have your fingers crossed because you said i swore to heaven but i didn't swear to god that that you know it that has nothing to do with it be people of the truth now surround all this in love but but trust the truth that relationships and community has to be based on that which is true and not that which is false now, in your outline, one of the things I was going to do was, you know, I'm just going to do it really rapidly, is, you know, how, do, how are we honest with others? We're, we're honest by others by telling the truth, and, 
And, and why would you do that? Because it, it builds trust, and trust will eliminate relationships. But, you know, you know I, I put this way. I, I said that, you know, truth gained can be maintained. Sometimes we get so cynical, so I don't believe anybody can tell the truth, so now I can believe anybody tells the truth. You know, Paul had a relationship with Timothy, even when Timothy was a young person, and he was raised by his grandmother, his mother, and came to know the person who was the truth, and so much to the point that he could trust him with the church in Ephesus that he had, he had always, that he had pastured before himself. And he, he said, look it. And as Timothy was struggling in the face, he said, hey, stir up that what you've always had, that gift that God has always given you. And realize this, God has not given you a spirit of, of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. And, and he wrote into Timothy's life, one he had known a long time, said, look it, I believe in you. That's really what he was saying. I believe in you. So just keep living out the truth. He had a truth relationship with Timothy at the last of a lifetime. But, but I also want to share this, and this is the word of hope, because you know, if, if, if we were to put a percentage here, how many of us have ever lied, the percentage would be what? 100%. So let's be honest. Um, truth, trust gain can be maintained, but also trust loss can be found. If people have lied to you, does it doesn't mean you have to write them off. An example here is, is that uh, Paul and Barnabas were, were the best of friends. And not only that, they, they had done ministry together. And they were the first ones ever put on a missionary journey. We have that recorded in Acts. Well, they were sent out in Acts 13. But Acts 15, you have them coming back from the mission trip and then deciding to go out again. And they had brought along with them a person named Mark. And, and we don't have time to turn to the passage, but in Acts chapter 15, you had this start as a little disagreement and then became a huge disagreement between Paul and Barnabas because Barnabas wanted to say, hey, let's take Mark again. And Paul says, no way. In fact, he uses the word, he deserted us as we were serving the Lord. I'm not taking him. And, and they got such a big argument, and the language there is, is volatile, that Paul and Barnabas split, and they went in two different directions all because Paul could not trust Mark because he hadn't been true to his word about being faithful as they did something together. But that trust and that truth that had broken because it had not been truth, it was found. Because you go in Acts, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you have Paul saying, you know, he was talking about people who had presently deserted him, but say, bring to me Mark who is so helpful and useful to me. So, so don't write off relationships that have been broken because of a, of a trust issue, because there wasn't truth-telling. It can be found again. So number one, above all else, we've got to be people of the truth, because Jesus is truth. So be honest with others and be honest with yourself, and of course, why, why that's so important? Because sometimes we do begin to believe the lie. And we've got to be honest. Am I really representing what is true? But also I want to end with this, and this, we're just going to take a few minutes with this. But we also ought to be honest with God in a particular way. In James 5.13, he begins this section, but I think it's helpful to tie it to here. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. And, you know, James, 
If you ever talk with somebody who has no transitions in their conversation, you're talking about something else, and all of a sudden, bam, they're over here. They go, what happened? I thought, you know, it's just like, how did we get there? Well, James is kind of that way. He's writing about uh, being truthful, and then saying, bang, hey, by the way, uh, if you're suffering, pray. And if you, you know, you're doing well, then sing praises. And I think there is a change of uh, a subject matter here, but I think there is, a, there is a tie a little bit. Because, you know, sometimes, and let's just be a, talk about being honest with ourselves, sometimes we're not doing well. And, he's, and again, he's speaking to the church. And sometimes we get this idea that if we're really walking with Jesus, then we ought to be able to paint a, a, a happy face, you know, all the time. We ought to have this silly smile that just is just, you know, shining so much. Say, hey, it's, you know, could you just, sh- you know, shut your mouth. The, the, the gleam in your eye and the, the, your, your pearly white, you know, teeth are just so, look it. There are times when things aren't going well, right? And, and, you, and you, if someone asks you, how are you doing? You say, I wonder if that person really wants to know. Do they really want to know what my past week was like and what I'm afraid my next week is going to be like and, and what's going wrong in my life? And so, so God wants us to know, at least personally, that there are times when we're going to be going through the, the dark days. The days where we feel our prayers are being bounced off the ceiling of heaven. When we, we don't see the, the immediate deliverance or rescue for whatever we're going through. We're, we're not sure what our future is going to be and, and we're struggling with it. Is anyone suffering? You know, let them pray. And really, if you think about how, and this is how I wanted to tie the message together, but you go, well, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, you do it by telling God the truth. Don't tell him that you're doing well when you're not doing well. And when you tell God the truth, it does build trust because you come to the one who can come to your rescue, if not in the way you imagine it, but he will be there. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, Paul is writing to this church who is struggling in so many different ways. He says, I want you to understand that you need to come to God the Father of all mercies and the God of all comfort. He, he is the one who is there for when you're really hurting on the inside. In 1 Peter 5, 7, some of you have memorized this verse. It says, cast all your anxiety or cares upon him because he what? He cares for you. And, and, and it's, not a, it's, it, it's not some little placebo, a little thing you're going to pop in your mouth, and as soon as you pray, your, your, your spirits are going to be lifted up. But it's saying, look at God, in the midst of my, my suffering, in the midst of me means so filled with despair, I'm coming to you. In Psalm 27, it's, there's a, verses 13 and 14, particularly verse 13, it says this, I would, have despi- I would have been despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so he said, I, I, I'm at that point. And the only, only source of hope for me is I believe that God is good. I talk to God and I believe in the goodness of God. And there is life in his presence. So today, you might have come in and you're really struggling. I just want to, this, is a, this is a good place to be honest. And when you're honest, God invites you to come before him and just pray. And 
give them a list. You know, we, we talk about count your blessings, name them one by one. And this might be radical, but I think it's all right to say, count your sufferings, name them one by one. Because really it's a statement, we live in a fallen world. And we live in times of pain. And there are things that have happened in our life that we wish had not happened. And God says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. But we also need to be honest when, when things are going well. This also ought to be a place where, where it, it's all right to be filled with joy and happiness and, and not feel, well, I, I don't want to be too cheerful because there might be some other people around that aren't cheerful. We ought to be able to accept both on, on, on any day that we're around others, those who are suffering and those who are filled with joy. Pray when you need some comfort and, and praise when you need some celebration. There's a passage we're going to have you look at this week where it says, Weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who what? Who rejoice. Psalm 92 is one of my favorite verses or passages, uh, Psalms. Psalm 91 begins with, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and sing praises to His name, O Lord Most High. Which means it's a good thing when you're filled with praise to return praise back to God. In particular, when things are going well, we can respond to Him in praise. But even there's, there's the other side. He, he can turn our suffering also into a time of celebration. You know, Paul, who in so many ways gives us an example of how to live the life of, of living uh, in the midst of difficult times. He and Silas were on a missionary journey when they, they were caught in the, the jail in Philippi and, the, and uh, they were put in you know, stocks and they were suffering. And all of a sudden, in the midst of suffering, they began to, by faith, sing songs of praise. In fact, it says hymns of praise to God. And I'm sure they weren't necessarily excited that they were in prison at that moment, but they realized, look at all the goodness of God that we've already experienced. I want to return praise back to Him. So what's the point this morning? God wants us to be honest. Honest with others. Honest with Him. And honest to ourselves. When, when things are going well, let's return praise. When things are not going well, let's, let's seek Him. Because quite frankly, there's only two directions you can go when, when things are not going well. You can run from God or run to God. And when things are going well, some people, they don't think about praising God. They're just praising maybe how smart they are. They got themselves in that position to be you know, feeling good. But God says, return praise for the one who gives you all good things from above. So this morning as we look to the communion table, and usually in the first service we don't take a lot of time explaining the table or who should come to it or who should not come to it, but simply the, the Lord's table is, is an object lesson for us to remember Jesus went through great suffering so that he might experience great joy. The Bible says that it was the joy set before him that he endured the cross. It's not just our joy. It's the joy of God to rescue people into his family. It's also the table describes our sobering thought of our own sin. 
that brought Jesus to the cross. But then the great joy that we are now in the one who loves us and invites us into an intimate personal relationship with him. Who should participate in the communion table? Just those who are honest. Honest to God about what it represents and being all in and what it represents. Honest with others and saying, I'm doing my best to represent you well. To believe that truth that, that has not been maybe part of some relationships, that this truth that was lost can be found. To really believe that truth can be maintained if energy is placed into being people who, when they say yes, it means yes. And when they say no, it means no. And, and being honest to the point, say, God, I, I want to be a person of truth and put my faith in the one who is the truth and truly express that in that why I was undeserving because of my sin, Christ died for me. Let's pray. Father, we just really pray that we might be honest with you. And Father, what a, what a privilege it is to be able to come to you in praise, but also in sorrow. And Father, we thank you that you invite all those who put their trust in you to, to come remember what you've done. And as each one comes to the table and then takes it back to where they sit uh, and then remembers what you've done, might this be a time of just connecting with the one who gives us physical life and gives us the opportunity to experience spiritual eternal life. Father, might this be a time of, of great worship of the living God. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.